Welcome to season two of Kindred, hosted by me, Kate, and my sister, Jen. In this podcast, we explore our human relationship to animals in the natural world. In connecting to our world, we also connect to compassion, understanding, and empathy. How can we see ourselves not as separate from animals and nature, but part of an active ecosystem? This season, Jen and I will focus on learning about the history of our disconnect to the natural world. What knowledge and connection have we lost and why? We'll talk with scientists, conservationists, academics, and many others as we look to answer the question, how can we implement change in order to heal our planet? And we'll explore how we can repair and restore our connection and relationship to our fellow Keystone species and ecosystems. Hello and welcome to Kindred. How are you, sister Jennifer, today? I am doing well. Yeah, good. It's another beautiful day. It really is. And I'm calling you sister specifically because today we are going to do something a little different. Today we are nerding out hard. I take that as a compliment. And going to talk about something that we believe is really critical to cover, even if it's not sexy or glamorous per se. Um, So I'll just start by saying last summer, our lovely producer Kat Gaddy and I were chatting about how people in general can talk about or use language specific to animals and nature. And the idea, I was sort of talking about the the idea of normalizing animals in nature and how we need to learn about them and speak about them in a way that makes sort of takes the alarm and misunderstanding out of it or them like like an example is like when people talk about spiders being gross or snakes being gross or foxes being evil or you know sharks are terrifying human predators etc um And that just led us down a road of what rhetoric means, which I will say right now, I thought that term was inherently a negative one, which it isn't. Um, But then specifically to language, and it just got us talking about language as a tool and how it is used in a few different arenas. So today we are going to focus on how language in context to media and conservation and science is deployed with a specific focus and how it can take away agency from animals in nature and people too, obviously, and the deep understanding and connection we can have to the natural world or alternately create the opposite experience. So to help us do this and help us navigate through this conversation, littered with many rabbit holes, I wanted to introduce you to our brother, Justin Coffin. Um, we did take the, we, we took the, what's the test where you, is a genetic test? Mm-hmm. We, we, it is true. We have done the DNA test. He is our brother. We are announcing it here. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. We heard it here first. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited to have Justin because not just being a beloved brother, um, he is what I like to call my walking dictionary and a reference I use often. Um, so hello, Justin, how are you? Hello. 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 Hi. Hi. Good to be amongst family. Did you want to say hi to your brother? Hey, bro. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Um, 
So let me, you know, get a little formal for a second and just introduce uh, Justin to you all. Um, Justin is a writer whose work includes ghostwriting books, essays, articles, book reviews, and plays. He is also a freelance writer working in communications and speech writing. Justin has uh, self-published two books. The first is called Fishtown Forget-Me-Not, which is a meditation and story on place and change told by a discarded iced tea carton, which is fascinating and adorable at the same time. And El Bunny, which is a collaboration with fine artist Terence Terence Laragione, and is a life story of an authentic and made-up Philadelphia character in the form of a large bunny. He also has a new essay in a collection just out this month called Ways of Walking, and that's published by New Door Books. So yeah, so Justin, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I'm really happy to do it. It's about time I got on your podcast. Right? <laughs> right. No kidding. I mean, it's a family What do I got to do? What's How much more related thing? can I be? So we're going to break this into three parts. Um, the first section will be what is language? And then we'll talk about how is it used? And then we'll talk about how can we change language in order to create a clearer and more accurate understanding of animals and nature. And part one, Justin, I'm just going to hand over to you. Um, so how how has language developed over the centuries and how is it used as a tool today? Um, well, it's, uh, it's, it's been used, uh, you know, it's one of the ways that humans have defined themselves as being human, right? They use language and, and that's not necessarily um, where we find ourselves now, much like we, we, we thought the same thing about culture, right? But mm -hmm. language is, so just getting really, really basic, uh, the definition, which you will find in a dictionary, and we'll get to dictionary soon, um, is that language is communication by voice. And uh, the definition I looked at said using arbitrary auditory symbols in conventional ways with conventional meeting, meanings. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I think one of, the, one of the, 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 the most important dynamics to remember with languages is that it does not feel arbitrary. If you're learning a language, it does. But if you are sp speaking your native language, it feels like your thoughts. I mean, it's really ingrained um, and you can think of it as, as thought clothed in sound. Mm. Um, so mm -hmm. so there, there are a lot of misconceptions about language uh, because, of, because it's so ingrained in us. I'm probably going to use the word ingrained a lot. It's just, it, it mm -hmm. is essential. It, it is a, it, it's not essential, but it, it feels like how we think sometimes. Right. Um, and it also feels like um, the, the, there is actually a connection between the word and the thing between the, what is what, like, what is signified and the signifier. Right. Okay. It feels like those connections feel like something. Um, and interestingly enough, at one time, and, and there may be people who still believe this, but that language was originally, like the, the original language was a connection of word and thing, that it, mm -hmm. language was more like magic. So when Adam names the animals, it's not him going, hey, you're a lion, hey, you're a this. It is 
a way that God gave him to have dominion. It actually says have dominion over the animal. So he named them and that was part of it. It's like, it's a spell or something. Oh, interesting. Um, so you can think of it as a misconception. You can also think of it as a, as a kind of magic that, that you can find in language. Um, hmm. And that magic is a, a sense of connection. Um, and there are, there are lots of different kinds of ways we use language. I mean, think of laws. Laws are language that binds us, right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so you think of the, the idea of, of a spell, of magic, of an incantation. Um, speak of the devil and he appears. I mean, th there, there's this mm -hmm. instinct to think of, to, to, to think of language as something that does actually make and create these connections. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so just to talk for a minute about rules, um, we think about the rules of language, like the rules of grammar, and I'll get to that, but there are rules of language um, that we all know, we all use. Um, that's why we say we play tic-tac-toe and not toe-tac-tick. Nobody, uh -huh. you know, a horse never doesn't go clop clip and no doorbell goes dong ding. Now the reason <laughs> so is- true. Just does not reason, roll off the tongue. It, it just doesn't. And we sense. know how those sounds work. So right. every native speaker, you know, says, you know, says ding dong rather than the other way around. Uh -huh. um, so it's just, we know that. How do we know? Yeah. We just do. Uh, yeah. um, there's also rules to how we describe something. So if I say um, the big green tractor ran over the stupid little French man, <laughs> that makes sense, right? right? Yeah. But nobody says the green big tractor ran over the French little stupid man. Oh, just, right. We, unless you're trying to, unless you're trying to learn French, and that's what you do do. But you yeah, know that right. people look at you like you, you're not speaking correctly. Exactly. And it's just, right. it, it's not like you're not violating a grammatical rule. You are violating an actual embedded rule in the language that we all know. And that's, and if we don't do it right, it's harder to connect. Right. And so if someone right. says the green big tractor, they're three or they're from, a, or they're learning English. Right? Yes. <laughs> right. That's um, me. Three all the time. Right. Um, and then there are the rules that we stick to because we, we're, we're told to. Um, and some of those rules are, are, are born out of really weird and, and, and kind of outdated reasons. Um, and this goes back to the idea of there being an original language that was actually true, truly connecting word and thing, you know? Right. Um, for, and it's, so a lot of the rules that we, we adhere to now are, are born out of this um, idea that there was one language and uh -huh. then every language that sort of followed was a corruption, a further corruption. And that's, this is, this is the story of the Tower of Babel. This was actually believed to be true that, that, that after the flood, there's this group of people walking around, right? Everybody's, right. The, 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 the world has been wiped out. We're starting mm -hmm. anew. These people are walking around. They get to Babylon. Here's a good place to live. Let's build a tower um, that goes to heaven. Mm -hmm. And so they were working together and God saw this and um, thought of it, at, thought it was blasphemy and cursed them. And he struck them all with this curse that nobody could understand anybody else. So everybody was speaking a different language and, right. and they were then dispersed to the four corners of the earth because 
you know, you don't get to heaven by circumventing God, you get to heaven through him. So this tower had to be stopped. Uh -huh, but so uh -huh. that's, interesting. Oh my gosh, I love that story. I forgot about that story. Right. So, but that idea, as far as grammarians took it, was that Hebrew was the language that came after that, right? Okay. And so the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, um, that is an ancient language. And so that's, it's not the pure language. It's not the pure God-given word and thing united language, it, but it is as close as we get. Mm -hmm. Then Greek, which is what the, the language the New Testament is written in is, right. is a further corruption. Latin is a further corruption. Um, and so we, you know, we have these ideas of language getting worse and worse. And, you know, so Latin is this further corruption of, of a language we're not even speaking, we're speaking English. So that's mm -hmm. a totally corrupted language. But so the, the rules that we have are often based on, well, this is a rule in Latin, so it should be a rule in English, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But we, we think about this stuff because there's a lot of anxiety around language and thinking of yeah. English, you know, mm -hmm. is it mm -hmm. she and I, is it her and I? Is <laughs> right, is it me, me and I and me went to the store, um, like, you know, yeah, right. Joe and myself are right. going out the door, you know? So, exactly. You know, and, and so those are grammatical rules, right? Right, right. But, and is this, it's sort of relative. I mean, this, it's also- It's a rule it, because they said it's a rule. It's not like, yeah. there, there are rules. So it's a grammarian's rule. It's a grammatical yes. rule, yes. but so, Everybody, you know, if you've if you've taken writing classes or anything like that, and you heard about not splitting an infinitive, you know, yeah. which mm -hmm. an infinitive is to be, to go, to do. It's a verb in sort of this theoretical space, right? Um, so in Star Trek, where it says to boldly go, that's a split infinitive because you put a, an adverb boldly between to and go. So that's supposed right. to be a no-no. But well, the reason you're not supposed to do it is because in Latin, an infinitive was one word. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't split it. So right. they didn't. Yeah. But it's it's inserting an inapplicable, uh, inserting a rule for inapplicable reasons into a language that it doesn't apply in. Right. But so that's kind of, you know, so so you can think of language as a grammarian. And, and there's there are lots of good reasons for learning how to write clearly, how to speak clearly, how to, you know, do those sorts of things. But those are rules that you have to study and learn. And then there's the the linguist who um, studies what's said. Right. And the idea is English exists in the mouths of native English speakers. Uh huh. So that's where it is. Um, now you can think about you know every year you hear about well this word's now in the dictionary now lol is in the dictionary whatever it is like these words right. you know, or 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 whatever it is. It's sure in my dictionary. You know, and and there was a, a time when literally one of the definitions of literally became not literally because that's how people <laughs> use it, and yeah. and it can drive people nuts. Right. Yeah. But mm -hmm. the dictionary doesn't make the rules. The dictionary says, you know, just just takes down what people say, and and that's fascinating to me. What you're just right. saying there, because that means that there aren't hard and fast rules, and if everybody's saying it, it gets to be a word. Well, that's the hard and fast rule. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah. Uh, but wouldn't it depend who you talk to? Because some people think if it's not in the Oxford English Dictionary, it's not, I mean, is right. LOL in that dictionary? 
Well, I mean, it, it's it's basically you it's know, a marketing the, the dictionary tool for Merriam-Webster. Yeah, right. yeah. Like Merriam-Webster said, these are the words that are in the dictionary this year. Right. Okay. But you know, so and we want an authority, right? We want somebody to say this is this is right, this is wrong. But language is only works because we agree. That's it. We agree on something. It's like the most democratic thing in summer. And you look at a one angle. It is that, right? It's, yeah. it's a very democratic thing. Interesting. And, um, I've not the thought idea, of it that way. Yeah. So. I looked this up. The word thunder used to be thunder. It was way back, you know, before there were even the English, you know, the, the Arabic characters that we make the alphabet with, like there were old sim, old English uh -huh. symbols, but the right. word was thunder. And Which then for lame. a long time. That's lame. So lame. Mm -hmm. I'm glad we changed it. It's much better. It's super lame. <laughs> yeah. Everybody can agree. And I think <laughs> right. if anybody back in, you know, 1000 AD was told, hey, buddy, you could say thunder instead to, for that sound, he'd say that sounds great. Yeah, because it does. And you but all agreed, and then it became thunder. Right, exactly. There were it, both words existed, and I'm and I'm not exactly clear how they were used differently. But thunder and thunder were both words for the same thing until finally thunder won out because it just sounds better, and that's just because we decided. Mm -hmm. Now, at some point, you know, and so the idea of correctness and incorrectness it doesn't really apply to the linguists' way of of looking at it. Um. But still, there's an I, I just there's a lot of anxiety around language. Are we using it right? Are we using it wrong? Um, there are definitely many ways to use it. Language is a lot of things. It is a tool. It's a system. It's a, um, a set of symbols. It's it's a lot of things. Um, but one of the things that's kind of interesting to me is the idea of um, these. When you think about these rules, we're supposed to live by the grammatical rules it's a function of, of power, right? And, 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 and using people's anxiety to an end. Um, right. And so look, I love the language, but there are some very dark aspects to how it's been deployed. I mean, you look at um, Native American populations and the government, the, the, the US, the federal government determined that it was going to basically eradicate their native languages right and make them speak english yeah which is a horror yes. of a thing it's a terrible Absolutely. thing to do mm -hmm. but it is also i mean it's it's a function of imperialism right it's a function yes. of colonialism um yep. but i mean if you want to dehumanize someone if you want to make someone feel to to yeah. to take their roots away from them basically mm -hmm. um and we'll talk about this well, a little the, bit later but also right. how how much we lose when we lose these these specific yeah. languages. Right. Well, you not and, and only dehumanize them, but you you render them unable to communicate. Yeah. So and it makes them feel and appear less than other. Yep. Yes. Absolutely. And and that idea right powerless. There yes, it takes back. away their power. And the 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 Greeks, the ancient Greeks, the word barbarian is from the Greek and it means someone who has no language because their language is just bar, 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 bar. That's oh where God. that word comes from. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. I did not know that. So that's a, you know, you talk about sort of a dehuman, like these people yeah. are animals living out in the woods right. or whatever it right. is. They're yeah. not right. And, and that sentiment you, uh, can be applied <laughs> in a million ways in a different, makes me feel, you know, makes me a little feel sweaty. sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so, 
Um, so these are, I mean, language has functions depending on who's using it. And yep. some of it is, is we were talking about small talk, right? And the mm -hmm. idea that you're not trying to convey critical information when you're making small talk with someone, when you're waiting for the elevator or for, uh, you know, for something at the store, you know, yeah. you are, that, that language is, is, is called within uh, linguistic spheres, phatic language. And it yeah. is basically, you're just saying we're, we're friends. We, 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 we are a community together. Right. I like you, you like me, we're talking. That's phatic language. That's small talk. And, you know, people can, you know, be, impatient with it and there are people who overuse it but right um that's it that is a function of language um yeah. a lovely way to connect way. a lovely way to connect in a moment and the opposite of that is um you know language that is used to sort of determine in groups from out groups and again if you want to go back to the bible the 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 word for these code words like like um code uh using language to decide whether someone's in or out of the group is right. the shibboleth which is which is i think um a hebrew word for uh creek or stream and after a battle between the ephraimites and and somebody um the losing side was trying to escape where the battlefield and so they would try to get to this cross the, the this ford in the river jordan i think it was to get away and get free right so the the soldiers set up um a checkpoint basically and you know so the the losing side i think it was the ephraimites maybe they won doesn't matter um unless you're an ephraimite um <laughs> true they said okay what's you know what's this right here behind me. And if mm -hmm. they said shibboleth, that was a person who was on the winning side. That's the accent. That was the, the dialect that people on the winning side right, right. The people yeah. on the losing side said sibboleth. Ooh, it's like, snap. you know, it's like yeah. trying to get out of Philadelphia and saying, what's this sandwich I have in my hand? And you say, it's a here. I said, no, it's a hoagie. Yeah. Right, you know? exactly. So if you say wow, hoagie, interesting. But so that's so fascinating that I, to think that like that happened all those years. Yeah, that's, that's right. A, it's an ancient form of power. Like I said, there's a lot of anxiety about how we use the language. And um, as someone who, you know, what if people ask me what I do for a living, I say a writer, you know, sometimes they get ang anxious. It's like saying I'm a sixth grade grammar teacher. Yeah. Yes. Know? It's like talking to oh. somebody and you realize they're a hairstylist and you're like, oh, geez, my hair looks terrible. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or my friend Leanne always used to, if she would say, damn it, around Kurt, she's like, oh, he's a priest. I'm like, he doesn't care. It's just that kind of idea that people are going to judge you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but that anxiety has a function. Wow. Okay. That is fascinating. There's just like a couple things too, like just the thing. I just keep going back to the shattered language in the Tower of Babel mm -hmm. yeah. um, and just how that still that is it still lives it's still living in our language and our culture and it leads me now to section two which is what we want to talk about is how you know then how is language used um, and our focus is specifically in science and conservation um, so just looking forward, you know, I guess the question is, so how, how is language used in science and in academia? And sort of with your words echoing through, 
in my head, you know, looking, if we look at ecology, biology, botany, for example, in context to like academia or science, it's detailed and specific in its dissection of the thing, which you were talking about earlier, and tends to deal strictly in like the facts. And it seems to be based on the objective with little of the experience of the subject and doesn't include or find relevant what is not identified or named. Um, and so just to give a quick sort of definition of science, I was actually just looked it up. And even the definition was interesting to me. It's the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and the natural world through observation and experiment. And even that definition of the term science, I have to break down so many of the words. I'm almost like, yeah. I don't even know what I just read. Right. I read it five times through. I'm like, wait, what does this actually mean? Right. Yeah. There's the word intellectual and practical activity and systematic and structure. And I think it's these clinical terms that are often even presented in Latin terms, right? It's like, everything like i guess in like botany biology has like the, a lot of like all the plants have uh, um latin, latin terms mm -hmm. and just sort of like <clears throat> looking at the functionality of a thing which then again to me leads to like a lack of autonomy and a lack of feeling past the action or reaction of something um and then i guess you know why why is this even an issue you know what what is missing from the language of science and how has it guided and influenced the lack of like um, personage and agency um, in the natural world? Um, and Justin, you were talking about that before, just about how, you know, dehumanizing and diminishing language can be. And we can apply that, I think, to animals in nature. Yeah. And, and uh, the, the, this definition of science, lends itself very much to hard sciences, right? It's not mm -hmm. like sociology so much. This is botany or biology and stuff like that. Where, and right. the, so how is the tool deployed? And it's deployed to separate, right? right. It's deployed to atomize, to, to right. get it, to break it down to the tiniest particles you can and right. look at it that way. It doesn't seem to work the other way very much though, right? I mean, yeah. you, yeah. you sort of have half of a process. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, right. Yeah. To specify rather than to include it's right. Like, it's the, so, and the systematic study, study of structure. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, uh, yeah, it's so interesting. And in a lot, in a large part, I understand that it has to be clinical and show the specificity of certain things and the differences between them, because that's sort of the, the code that they that's how it operates right yeah. mm -hmm. i mean like or in chemistry you have to learn all these formulas you know that's right. why i thought i hated science right. for a long time just right. because it is so specific and there's one way mm -hmm. and it's very exclusive <laughs> sure it can be it certainly can be um and that that that's i want to bring in i want to talk about um robin wall kimmerer for a second um <clears throat> who she's a member of the Potawatomi Nation and a teaching professor of environmental biology. And she wrote a book, well, her latest book is called Braiding Sweetgrass, colon, Indigenous Women, Scientific Knowledge and the Teachings of Plants. 
So I just want to read you guys a quote because I really think it really um, it lends itself so beautifully to what we're talking about. And the quote is, I did learn another language in science, though, one of careful observation, an intimate vocabulary that names each little part. To name and describe, you must first see. And science polishes the gift of seeing. I honor the strength of the language that has become a second tongue to me. But beneath the richness of its vocabulary and its descriptive power, something is missing. The same something that swells around you and in you when you listen to the world. Science can be a language of distance, which reduces a being to its working parts. It is a language of objects. The language scientists speak, however precise, is based on a profound error in grammar, an omission, a grave loss in translation from the native languages of these shores. And I just find, end quote, um, I find that such a beautiful example of what we're talking about. And when she says, you know, science, you know, it polishes um, the gift of seeing yeah. and it's, it's, there, there is a richness and she does give, she's saying, I, I love my second language that I learned. There's mm -hmm. so much, there's, there's a reason for it. And there's so much good. It's so critical to, to, um, to, to actually seeing a thing from, you know, from a little atom to the actual manifestation of the whole little being, um, it's just, there's so much missing too. And I think another example is when, you know, issues like such as like climate control are dis discussed. It can be really, you know, clinical discussing diagnostics with like inflammatory language, which then can just, then that gives rise to fear and denial. And now that's going into politics. Um, I think that's where politics and conservation collide. And I don't want to go down the political rabbit hole. Um, but it's, it's key to note that it's also okay and critical and very important for science to be detailed. Um, but what does basing everything on this take away from the subject that we're looking at? And Justin, you had made a really good point just getting back to general language in general about poetry in the English language too. And, yeah, and her, uh, um, her words are so poetic too, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and it's, what's, it's very interesting her, her talking because she's talking about scientific language and there are things that are happening in science that are studies of systems rather than this sort of, you know, dispersal of everything. But there is a way in which, we think about things and talk about things, not as sci not scientists necessarily, but lay people yeah. that think about things as individualized, right? Don't think of a forest as a living thing. It is a set of systems or whatever that has living things in it, but also, you know, if yeah. you take it down to rocks and roots and, and right. this and that, yep. um, you are missing a, a bigger picture. And that's exactly, um, but there, there are the, I guess the idea of poetry is, is not scientific um, in the sense of analysis. And so there's all this, you know, all these connections that can, surprising connections that can be made in poetry and all, the, you know, or whatever it is, just, you know. Well, right. And I think, and I think poetry can address what she's saying, you know, when she says something is missing, the same something that swells around you and in you when you listen to the world and poetry mm -hmm. does, poetry speaks to that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful combination of, 
of language in the arts and science in the arts. Um, practically a definition of poetry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was something in that section too, just to, to where, where she's talking about, you know, the languages that have been destroyed that, that she is learning about have 10, 15 speakers and they are, those speakers are in their eighties, right. you know, yeah. um, but you know, so they would, they would go to these schools and be re-educated and get their language taken away from them. And, and one of the things that she talks about that I, that I loved in that book was she talks about, they, they were told that their language was crude and, and rude because there was no word for please, because mm, there's no yes. option of, you don't, it, it, like it, the the thing is right. English has yeah. the option for using please or not because mm -hmm. you can be rude or not you can yeah. you can you can be nice about it or you can be you know right not nice and a language yeah. without please doesn't mean it's rude it means it, her point was that it assumes that there is a respect there is a thank right. you and there is gratitude more consideration but, is given yeah, yeah. yeah right in the language and that and that, yeah. and that giving is and 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 sharing is just part of the culture rather yes. than mine and yours yeah and she talks about um how difficult her native tongue is to learn because it is so detailed and i think it actually so mirrors beautifully the detail that lives in the natural world and her language matches that um it's 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 a lovely book and we're gonna we'll talk about more another time but um so how is this discussion and conversation pertinent in conservation and i i think um you know jen and you and i talk about a lot you know we talk about this a lot and we use specific language used within conservation or deployed at conservation um meaning us you know issues of climate change and um you know issues of you know what, what's happening in the oceans and all of these things that we're trying to help support animals in nature and i think i think one of the biggest things that we've talked about is how specific language can undermine it can it can dismantle it can get very political and there's a certain type of rhetoric um i'll say positive and negative that can be used within conservation and at conservation i think it can also be um certain media and newspapers and all of the things can use certain language that can actually end up hurting conservation it can come off very condescending it can come off too much trying to anthropomorphize animals and i think when we try to put you know human experience on the natural world you lose something there as well you lose something we're, we're trying to talk about a shark i don't we don't need to try to make it be more human we need to break that animal down and see how critical it is acting in its ecosystem so that maybe we can stop thinning, they're the ones who keep the ocean balance, right? So it's sort of like if we can use certain language um, that is supporting, I think our goal here is 
in this conversation is learning how to better support the natural world, not create more misinformation and lack of connection. Um, am I making sense? Yeah, I think definitely. So that, that's the thing I would say is supportive language and connecting language yes. rather than um, condescending or, or separating right. kind of language. Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, um, we're going to take a quick break in a second, but my last thought on that is just, exactly like this is our focus is using language to connect to animals in nature right and to create a deeper like exactly you're saying creating deeper understanding of each other so that we can see science right and feel which is the other part that Kimura is talking about like you know all the other things um how integrated we all are right. to each other on that note we're going to take a quick break guys and we'll be right back So moving on to section three, we're asking the question, how can we change our language in order to create a clearer and more accurate understanding of animals in nature? And why is it important? So, you know, I think our perspective is we need to inspire love and connection, right? We need to use positive language and accurate language for sure. Um, it's really that combination and there, you know, I really think a change is happening. I, I don't believe that this is, we're not breaking any barriers or having this conversation. It's a new, it, it, it's a conversation that is happening um, in science as well. And, you know, science is very fact and informed based, and this is really important. Um, however, I just feel like we need to bring in the love and the connection aspect. And, you know, like, and then how do we do that? So what can we do instead? And I think this goes back to our episodes where we talk to Bush Babies and the programs they're putting together. And, you know, I've talked about this before, Jane Goodall's Roots and Shoots programs and really focusing in on the younger generations and using a different, more inclusive language that inspires the next generation's to want to dig deeper into the experience of the natural world. Um, you know, I think a lot of times in the past, love has been seen in the academic world as a weakness and a distraction. And I actually see it as equaling respect. I really think that's what we're doing. It's like, to me, bringing love into that conversation is actually, is, is an aspect of respect. And without that, um, again, you're losing stuff. And, you know, it's like the example of um, Kate Stafford and Monique Udell. These are tried and true scientists, right? But they clearly love and deeply respect what they're studying, um, you know, in, in marine life and domestic animals. And again, Kimmerer combines these two worlds so beautifully and shows how both enrich the other. Um, yeah. And I, I actually think that you can't truly respect something that you don't have care for. Right. Like, you know, I am thinking of it in terms of, um, let's say, um, a parent is like, you have to respect me, but you might be able to get the desired behavior you're looking for, but 
respect doesn't really come with if there's fear or misunderstanding i don't really believe there's truly is respect i yeah. think there has to be a, a connection and a caring it, and yeah that's that's ex that's exactly right and that leads me right into the next question is how does negative language lead to fear and shame and lack of agency and i think you know that's where um I, I think people like um i was going to mention this later but i'm just going to say now this is where sean heinrichs mm -hmm. works so hard he's like i'm trying to take shame out of conservation mm -hmm. and means using different language mm -hmm. he's changing the language of how he speaks about his passion and his and his love and his and is the subjects that he's talking about which are sharks and other things right and then karen vardaman um who i think you were going to talk about before and her work with ranchers and wolves mm -hmm. yeah because that whole thing about um like i think you can use the love more with the little ones like oh look at this little tiny baby but if you're <laughs> right. talking to a rancher about love yeah they just want their cows not to be dead right, right? so yeah. the, and there's where respect is like knowing how like these scientists use their knowledge to create a connection that's the thing is that the the you don't lose the specificity of science but they use their incredible intellect and knowledge and depth of knowledge mm -hmm. to create connection yep. and then they get respect which equals caring to right. this rancher but he if you start talking about love he's right. not going to be interested right but then sean's gonna be like that's where inspiration comes in and that's right. where sean's like i want inspiration not hope but what right. are you going to say justin well yeah. it's the, the i'm also thinking of language and how it is used and and as a thing that's basically in the in the atmosphere whether it's um you know in the in the the news you consume or whatever it is um there's living language and there's dead language right there there, there there's language that reveals and there's language that hides and um sometimes I, I mean why one of the reasons why i think that there is this you know that, that there is this language around some of the things we're talking about this what you're calling like negative language is because the there are there are forces at work that you know don't want conservation right they, they right. want the, the and and so right right you don't you don't want to say I hate the environment because you don't hate the environment. You don't say I don't care about the environment because sure you care about it. But so one of the things to do, one of the things I think is important to do is careful who you listen to and careful how you listen because the, the, the zone is flooded yes. on purpose yes. with so much information right. that people give up and walk away from it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yep, yep. It, it, so you can talk about positive language or negative language, but I, but I think it's if you are if you are truly trying, you know, it's language connects when you are trying to connect through language, right? Yeah, that's, right. that's the yeah. thing. So, well, yeah. and, and I do think that in conservation, I do think some of the sort of the intense and off, what could be perceived as off-putting language was originally used. They're trying to get people's attention. Yes, you got to yeah. wake up and pay attention yes. to this sort of 
they wanted to cause a little bit of discomfort, but right? it's it just sure. a lot of people say this is too much for me. Yeah, and that's where the that's where Sean's trying to think, yeah. take out that shame language. Exactly. I don't want to speak for him, but I think but, that's true. But yeah, yeah but that's a great I'm, point. What I'm, what I'm talking about with the, the all the information is things like you junk science. I mean, industries have used it, like you know, saying that cigarettes are good for you or, right. uh, you know, and, and these things happened and they have, you know, that there's no such thing as, as climate change, or if it is, it's, it's reversible or it's, or it's no big deal or whatever it is. There's just, the zone is flooded with information and it's Very like true. language just as a steamroller. It's not, again, yeah. <laughs> it, it is, it is being deployed to make everybody exhausted. Yeah. And to, and to say that there is no real up. way to know anything. Right. Yeah, never mind. I won't try. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Justin, you when we had talked to you um, before, you read us um, a beautiful quote. Um, I just thought we could wrap up with that. It, it, it's a beautiful embodiment of what we're talking about. Um, so, yeah, could you read that quote, please? Sure thing. So, this is um, a book I don't know very well. It's by uh, a man named Henry Beston. It's called The Outermost House. Um, and I will just read it. For the animal shall not be measured by man. In a world older and more complete than ours, they move finished and complete, gifted with extensions of the senses we have lost or never attained, living by voices we shall never hear. They are not brethren, they are not underlings. They are other nations, caught with ourselves in the net of life and time, fellow prisoners of the splendor and travail of the earth. Sheesh, gorgeous. It's really beautiful. Um, and I think that really does sum up in all the different levels, the what we're talking about. And thank you for reading that. It's um, really, really sweet. Thank you so much, Justin, for joining us today and sort of navigating us through this um, mm -hmm. giant hole that we were brave enough to jump into <laughs> and i think um i'm definitely not we're not here to ask questions and answer them just to just to continue and be part of a of a bigger discussion and an open dialogue and just really trying to root into um how we can change uh our language and be more inclusive and um so thanks for all that you've offered today. We really appreciate it. And it's really fun to have you here as a mm -hmm. guest and as a brother. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real hoot. And I just, <laughs> I, I love talking about this stuff. So I just wanted to tease a little future episode for you guys and let you know that we will be reviewing Robin Wall Kimmerer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass, um, who we had quoted earlier. and. We loved that book. We listened to that book. It's made a huge impact on my thinking and perspective. And so look out for that coming in the next uh, couple, uh, this season. So thanks again, you guys, for joining us. That's all we have for today. I think this was just one big takeaway. <laughs> um, and again, thanks so much for Justin Coffin joining us. That was great to have him. Yes. And um, we will see you guys uh, next episode. Lots of love. Bye. Kindred is hosted by me and my sister Jen, produced by Kat Gaddy and myself, sound production and editing by Dan Cooper, 
original music by Ellie Grace, and our kindred artwork was created by Lindsay Coffin. Please follow, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And feel free to contact us through our website at kindredpodcast.co, where you can also find links to our socials, Patreon page, and show notes.